мамой шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И при виде их на момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello, everyone. This is the SRB Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Guillory. As you know, the podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh. And every semester, we do a center newsletter where we spotlight a few of our faculty. But instead of doing a short paragraph about them or a short interview, I decided to create an audio profile of our featured faculty. That way, you can hear them in their own words, talking about their work, teaching, and interests. This faculty spotlight is on Katie Manukin, one of our Russian language instructors and literature scholars in the Pitt Slavic department. Here's Katie talking about her love of Russian, Nikolai Gogol's genius, and her career as an opera singer in Pittsburgh. Also, all the music you'll hear is from Katie's performances. So here's Katie Manukin. Enjoy. I came to music through a love for Russian culture, and I would say I came to Russian culture through my love for music. So the two were always just from the very beginning interacting, um, supporting one another, leading me to, to new discoveries in Russian art and music. That's why I learned Russian, was because I wanted to sing. Because I studied Russian for so long, I actually find Russian to be the most amenable language for my voice. It brings out the color of my voice in ways that no other language does, actually including English. Katie Manukyan, and I um, have been at the University of Pittsburgh since 2011, and I currently work as the managing director of the Summer Language Institute and a lecturer in the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures. Um, I'm also here in Pittsburgh, maintain a career in opera singing, both as a performer and as a diction coach specializing in the Slavic languages. My literary research focuses actually on a topic that isn't directly related to music, which is um, the author Nikolai Gogol, uh, who's my favorite Russian author. And for me, the teaching of Russian, as well as the stage work and the publishing, all come down to one thing, which is communicating, communicating, communicating. And um, I really try to be guided by those principles as much as I can to make the students feel themselves to be legitimate users of Russian from the very first week. I didn't start singing professionally as far as being hired to put on a costume and sing with an orchestra until I moved to Pittsburgh, actually. For the size of our city, there's so much going on in classical music. It's a tremendous city for classical music. Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra is one of the top world orchestras. I mean, it's right there on a level with, you know, Berlin Philharmonic or, or any of the best. I was singing with um, 
the Mendelssohn Choir of Pittsburgh, which is um, the big choir that sings oratorios and uh, major choral music with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. I was singing with them and I did a few auditions for solos and things like that and was noticed by uh, a conductor who worked with the choir and from there I just met more people and started getting hired for um, local things and, and, and regional regional operas to, to an extent. So I didn't actually start singing until I was maybe 13 or 14 years old. I was discovered in my uh, little Catholic school eighth, required eighth grade musicals. And I had never known before that that I had an ear or that I, my voice was something special. I guess I knew I was kind of loud. But that's about it, which is an important aspect of being an opera singer because you need to project over the orchestra, right? I signed up for the school choir in high school and I started taking some voice lessons and got exposed to Russian opera and was I was drawn to it immediately. And I would say that my childhood preparation for that experience came from my mother because she was a, a um, professional level ballet dancer. Uh, so I was hearing Ch a lot of Tchaikovsky. What can I say? Uh, like like many a little girl, actually. My own daughter is a bit obsessed with the Nutcracker. So she created this myth of Russian ballet and opera theater for me. My mom didn't know that much about opera, um, but in general, but particularly in Russia, opera and ballet are kind of yoked together culturally. So the opera theater is always the, the ex-theater of ballet and opera. So the track that I offered to you today is um, from a really special project, all local mus musicians staging a concert opera, and the opera is Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin. So the most famous and frequently staged of the Russian operas. It hadn't been performed here in Pittsburgh for many, many years. The, the, the fragment that I've selected um, is from the end of the opera. It's the duet between Tatiana and Anyegin. This is where Tatiana figuratively finds her voice. I love this section so much uh, because she finally finds the inner strength to um, you know, give give Onegin what he deserves. Tchaikovsky's music is what we'd call rather through composed in moments. Um, so this is excerpted from the f long final duet between Tatiana and Onegin, but the section um, is named by its first line, Onegin Yatagdama Loja, which is Onegin, in those days I was younger.
there's definitely overlap between the genius I see in an, in Google and the genius I recognize in some of my beloved, um, you know, musical favorites, favorite operas and so forth. I can read The Overcoat once a month and never not discover something new. Um, so it's just an, an author who really speaks to me and, um, you know, captures my imagination and, and, and leads me to the discovery of subtext, leads me to some sort of revelation about how, how, how the art that appeals to me works. I think he's so, well, I mean, he's so eccentric and I end, endlessly discover things I want to say about Gogol. I found out that there's lots of mirrors and other optical devices in Gogol's works. And I decided to do a review of every single mention of a mirror in Gogol's works. I think I, I, I came to the conclusion that lots of other people have come to Gogol is really possessed by fear of the void or fear of, of uh, the abyss. I'm totally convinced that this is, you know, I guess the main impetus behind Gogol's art is exploration of what if it's all meaningless? What if all that awaits us is the abyss? So what I'm working on right now is a, um, a biblical reading of Taras Bulba. So Taras Bulba never gets any, you know, academic treatment. It, it, it's, it's really ignored in his corpus for a very um, justifiable reason that it contains so much nationalism and not just nationalism, but chauvinism, you know, um, that people, even great lovers of Gogol, tend to try to ignore it. I started noticing some of the biblical imagery used in it and decided to take a closer look and read it side by side with um, some biblical excerpts and specifically Paul's letters to the Corinthians is what I use the most. And when you do that, it's astonishing the amount of imagery he's taking directly from scriptures. We know how seriously how serious Gogol was about the Bible and about religion, and it turns the message of the work flip over onto its face. There's, of course, probably hundreds of perfectly valid readings of his work, um, but he's very easy to misread, too. And this spark of genius, who could come up with the things he comes up with? Nobody could, only he. It's, it's a lot of um, psychological and emotional work, actually, to learn a language. And But you know what I tell students is that we struggle with our native languages, we just don't let it affect our ego, you know? And I, I think some of the, like, the psychological lessons and the hurdles I've had to get over, for example, to perform on stage really translate into the foreign language classroom because it's a matter of having an inner feeling of legitimacy not to use a cliche, but to get beyond imposter syndrome and think, I'm not an imposter when I'm using this language. Even if I have an accent or even if I make a faux pas, <laughs> native speakers do that too. They just don't do it as often. For most of our students, there is a very steep learning curve to understand um, how languages work and to get over the fact that Russian is a synthetic rather than an analytical language and they need to learn all the cases. So um, they go along and, and, they're, and they, have, they have some stamina for it and then sometime around the end of the first year or the beginning of the second year, 
exhaustion with the cases set in. Uh, once they get over that, though, there's usually, uh, you know, kind of a renewed period of excitement once they're finally using the language and the language in more communicative context within their area of interest or specialization. Oh, King Shri.